Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. Thanks for joining us today. This is uh, good to be back. Back in the studio. I mean, after our time with, with Jacqueline Bussey, and, and man, that was a good It good really, talk, really was. If you, uh, if you did not join us for that night or if you weren't able to watch online or haven't, haven't listened to it, uh, check out a couple podcasts ago. We've got uh, that live event is up along with the Q&A session. Uh, also, if you want to see the live video, it is available on YouTube and on our live stream page. So go ahead and check that out as well. Yeah, we developed these discussion guides for each of these live events that we have. And, and so there, there will be a, a discussion guide guide shortly, I believe, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, for Jacqueline Bussey. And so you can watch that with your friends, a small group, uh, some sort of uh, neighborhood group, whatever you've got, and have a great conversation about a love without limits. And again, just a, just a wonderful night that we had. Yeah. And like we said that night, you know, that's, that's something that uh, sometimes it's easy to say, oh yeah, of course I love without limits. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that's, that's a space where we all have some things to learn and, and it's good for all of us to be continually thinking about that. Yeah. She exposed where we all draw our lines and, uh, and then challenged us on that. And, and that was just was pretty awesome. Yeah. But as for today's episode... Yeah. So this past summer, uh, we were in Houston. We met up with a team from Mosaic. So this is an organization devoted to advocate for people with intellectual disabilities uh, and help make opportunities for them to enjoy a full life. Um, We talked in a hotel lobby, so there's a little bit of sound in the background uh, and bustling of other hotel guests uh, as we talked. But we were were really captivated uh, by our conversation with Jim, Jennifer, and Stacy. Their stories, their work, uh, and it's an honor to introduce them to you now. So with that, welcome to Sandbox Cooperative, episode 73, Mosaic. My name is Jim Freeling. I work for Mosaic, the national offices in Omaha. I'm the vice president for behavioral and spiritual supports. So I function for them as a licensed psychologist as well as ordained clergy. My name is Jennifer Ledoux. I am currently serving as the interim vice president of operations for the state of Texas for Mosaic. Um, And I have been for... Well, for about the last two years, supporting the Southeast Texas Agency, which is located here in Metro Houston, and also the Corsicana Texas Agency, which is about two and a half hours north towards Dallas. Yeah. And I'm Stacy Halley. I'm the Community Relations Officer for Mosaic in Southeast Texas, and I cover all of Houston, and I also cover Bryan College Station. So uh, my goal is just to make sure to connect community partners with our mission um, and with our individuals that we serve. All right. Very cool. So tell us about Mosaic. I'd love to hear where do you start with such a uh, an organization, massive organization, it sounds like? It is a pretty massive organization. Yeah. It's been around for more than 100 years. Wow. Uh, it's the result of two Lutheran organizations coming together, if I can address that. Uh, the first was a Swedish organization in the old Augustana Synod, a pastor by the name of K.G. William Dahl, who had had some contact with folks in county poor farms and other disenfranchised people in Nebraska, got on the train from Omaha, rode out to central Nebraska, saw a little hill, and he said to his wife, this is the place, this is where we're going to have our mission. Mm -hmm. And so about a year later, he gathered together about 70 lay people in the congregation there in little Axtell, Nebraska. It's still little, 100 years (laughs) later, it's still a little town. Each of them gave a dollar and started the Bethphage Mission Foundation, which was the intermission for the Swedish Augustana Synod. That was 1913. And then in 1924, a group of Lutheran clergymen 
in German speaking, the old Iowa Synod, which is very old Iowa Synod, <laughs> and a couple lay people got together. They were looking at a building that had been vacated in a, another small Nebraska town called Sterling. It had been an academy, junior college, a Lutheran junior college. And uh, after World War I, of course, there were tough times for a lot of German Lutheran organizations. The academy folded. And these group of uh, five folks said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually establish a school for people with intellectual disabilities, which, of course, was unheard of at yeah. the time. Yeah, that and anyone, you're talking 1924. That's right, yeah. Wow. Uh, that anyone could actually come to school. Yeah. So the organizations continued and grew, both Beth G. Mission and Martin Luther Home and School, as it became known, and uh, branched out into different states as the initiative came from the government to have people served closer to home rather than in centralized facilities. And we realized about 10 years ago now, uh, actually before then, it took us about 40 years to negotiate, but both Lutheran <laughs> organizations were not speaking German, we're not speaking Swedish anymore. Maybe we actually should join forces together. Hmm. And so that was mosaic then, yeah. pieces of terrazzo, so to speak, coming mm -hmm. together cool. to make a design that is okay. the new mosaic. Yeah. So what does uh, daily work look like for someone who is, is part of this organization or, or uh, having be receiving benefits from this organization? What does that look like? Sure, so I'd be happy to address that. Um, what a day looks like is determined by the needs and the desires of the people that we support. So we have a number of ways that we support people. Um, we, one of the things that we do is something called Mosaic at Home, and that's where a person lives um, in the context of a family. Um, it is a smaller family-like setting. It allows somebody to have 24-hour support as needed and allows them to experience life in the community. Mm -hmm. And so we're really proud of that program. It's uh, a flagship program of ours. And so we um, have got that in eight states. Currently, Texas leads in Mosaic in the number of uh, people in Mosaic at home. So we're very proud of that. Here in Texas, we have some other options. One is something called supported services. So someone lives with their in their own home perhaps with supports or with a family member. And we provide um, direct supports to come in, provide the level that they need. So that might be for outings in the community. It might be help with personal care and medications. It mm -hmm. could be um, getting to church, going to the library, buying groceries, those kinds of things. And then we also have some other residential settings. So there are still group homes. Um, those are uh, still available for those who choose that option. And so we have a number of those in Texas as well. But what is very important to Mosaic is personalized supports. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we define quality based on what the individual we are supporting, their dreams, what they want to have happen, we define quality based on how we help them reach those goals. I imagine over the years you've heard some pretty fantastic stories of uh, just ways that lives have been impacted. Uh, are there any that come to your mind as you, as you think about it? I think there's so many that come to <laughs> mind, actually, from, from early on, people who were able to get away from the poor farm or people who were able to come and get an education until um, most recently, something that really stands out in my mind is in one of our programs in Illinois, where I was there to do some psychological evaluations and was uh, had a young woman referred to me who had just come in been taken out of the home because mm -hmm. of uh, abusive circumstances and so forth and um, had obviously had had a pretty rough time mm -hmm. in her family of origin 
and she got into a mosaic at home kind of context and um, that was two years ago now uh, I saw her just three weeks ago and she's smiling and mm. happy to see me and happy to tell me what's going on and accessing the community she looks healthy mm. she feels good you know that's just a, a microcosm of uh, when things have gone really right for someone when you see that new life uh, kind of s- coming forth absolutely uh, yeah, yeah blossoming yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. very yeah. encouraging One of the things that we've seen in our Mosaic at Home program overall is when people move into personalized settings um, in the context of a family, we have seen a reduction in the number of medications that they may need. We've seen uh, improvement in health outcomes, um, just overall better outcomes for the person. Um, In our Southeast Agency, we serve somebody who has a very high level of medical need. in years past, that person would not have been able to live at home. The support simply would mm. not have been there. Um, but now he lives at home with the Mosaic at Home provider. He's been with her for a number of years. They do have nursing, um, but that allows him to be in a secure setting with a wonderful continuity of care mm-hmm. with somebody who is very engaged with him in his life. And it's made a tremendous difference for him. For this person, it has undoubtedly prolonged his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in my role as a community relations officer, you know, my goal is to connect community partners, um, which, of course, uh, for us, because we are of a Lutheran heritage, we have many of our uh, churches, our ELCA partners that are our church partners. And uh, when I came on board was during the holiday season. And one of the experiences for me, which was pretty profound, which, you know, unknowingly, um, I joined the agency in December. So, of course, it's a high time, high holy time for the church, but also a high time for Christmas celebrations and all kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And um, I unknowingly, during our Christmas celebration, you know, I'm taking pictures and we have Santa. And, um, you know, what I now know is one of our volunteers asked to take a picture with one of our individuals in service. And I said, sure, no problem. So we move her by Santa and the three of them take a picture. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, this is great. So I come to the office and Jennifer, um, you know, I'm sharing with her the results of the event. And I said, oh, and then, you know, someone, you know, this, this individual was able to, someone asked to take a picture with her. And Jennifer says, who who what and what we what happened for me in that moment is that as Jennifer shared this individual story uh, she has profound needs Um, we are her primary caregiver Uh, she uh, she, we do everything for her from you know bathing to self-care to Mm -hmm. feeding you know she's very we really do do everything for her Um, but what happened in that moment is that Jennifer shared with me that all of her caregivers are no longer here and mosaic mm. is all she has. So mm. for this volunteer, someone who's not paid to do this for her, who doesn't didn't have to ask to take this picture with her during the holiday season, extended herself to this individual just just made a difference because oftentimes when caregivers pass away and you know of course fortunately mosaic is here, we are we are their provider. Mm-hmm. And so to some degree, we're you know there's an obligation for us to provide that quality care. But boy, the joy of having a volunteer or having a church member from one of our partners or someone from the community offer themselves to that individual Mm -hmm. with no strings attached makes all the difference in the world. And so for me, an innocent moment for me turned into pretty profound of realization that, 
you know, that's why volunteers are important. That's why church partners are important mm -hmm. because our individuals, they have no one else. And so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a gift. You're, you're building relationship. Yep. One of our core values is connection. Yeah. And so the extension of that story is that wasn't a one-time interaction. That individual has now developed, um, the volunteer has developed a deeper interest and connection to people in service and is now serving in an ongoing volunteer capacity. So cool. um, that relationship that started at a Christmas party has turned into a much more significant one. So um, creating... A, sustaining connections where people have them and creating opportunities for connection very central to who we are and what we do yeah yeah as i'm listening to you talk about this and you're, you're saying uh you know some community partners and churches and so this this work can be can just take a lot of effort and a lot of resources so um who all are the people that are helping this happen and what does that look like and and um what other organizations could help or what other things are needed uh, maybe for somebody who's listening that wants to find a way to engage yeah great question um you know really the way that you know we work with a lot of rotary organizations we work with a lot of alumni groups that you know are looking for what what might initially start out as volunteer opportunities and then once they meet our individuals and they they see our mission they instantly want to dig deeper mm -hmm. and so um with that um in one of our communities in in bryan college station uh we had someone who came to a, an event for us um, felt you know really uh, made a financial person a personal financial commitment but then once we began to learn about her you know she's part of an architecture firm and realized there was a, a project that we could you know work on and now she's really helping us open doors to other community leaders and other businesses in that community so really what it takes is one to learn about mosaic, mm -hmm. um, want to learn, you know, dig deeper and then be able to be a door opener that if you're not the one that can help us, help us open other doors mm -hmm. to other agencies who have a heart for a community that has special needs. Um, because that really, you know, word of mouth goes much further than you knocking on doors. And so as soon as someone learns about us, they instantly want to do more. We're currently in 10 states and have 36 agencies. Um, and so um, one way that you can connect with us is in those agencies, we routinely have opportunities for people to come in, to hear about our mission, to meet people and services, and those are called Discover the Possibilities. So if anyone is near one of those 36 agencies, that would be a great way <laughs> to connect. Um, what we, as Stacy was saying, what we find is that once people meet those that we serve, hear their stories and understand what an impact can be made in the life of another person mm -hmm. we find it pretty easy to engage people but it's that first step yeah so um those would be some great opportunities is there a is there a policy or advocacy uh, component to your work oh absolutely okay. so we actually have a an advocacy arms, so to speak. It's called Mosaic Allied Voices. That is a great way for people to get information about um, issues that are of importance to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, both at the state and the federal level. Um, it is a quick, like, minute and a half sign up, um, and it allows you to receive an email 
and we don't email bomb you, so just want to say that. <laughs> um, but so it allows you to receive an email when there is an issue of significance, and then it makes it super easy. If it's something you feel like is consistent with your values and you want to weigh in on, it makes it super easy to click a button and immediately communicate with your legislators. Okay. And so, um, and there are frequently issues in front of our legislative mm -hmm. bodies that are very important to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so, one of the things that we do at Mosaic is give a voice, and that's a way that others can join in our mission with us. Great, great. Um, it's Mosaic comes out of the Lutheran tradition, uh, yes. the Lutheran Christian tradition, uh, and so faith is a part of the mix, and it's and it sounds like a profound part of what it is. Absolutely. And so I'm wondering how does faith play? How has faith played out both in the with the people you serve, and how has faith expressed? you know, through your work personally? I think one of the things that is an earmark for us is in our statement, embracing God's call to serve in the world. You know, Mosaic reaches out uh, to support people with intellectual disabilities. And um, that gives us a lot of flexibility because mm -hmm. God's mm -hmm. call is manifest in so many different ways in the world. Mm -hmm. And so spirituality and, and faith can be very significant for a lot of our staff, not all of them. Significant for a lot of the people for whom we provide supports, not all of them. And again, it's as Jennifer said, finding that, that individual mm -hmm. uh, preference and mm -hmm. desire and helping to make that accessible to people when mm -hmm. they want to attend services, want to be involved with the faith community. We also have another outreach called um, uh, Rejoicing Spirits, which is an accessible church service. That was actually the format of it was developed in Pennsylvania by a lay woman who looked around her church one Sunday and said, hmm, nobody here with any disabilities. And so it became kind of a call for her to uh, help churches open up services to everybody. And uh, the intent originally was for people with disabilities or for people for whom a traditional liturgical service might be onerous or mm -hmm. um, we found a lot of parents who were interested in that because they had kind of been subtly disinvited when they'd mm -hmm. attended with their child who had yeah. some disruptive behaviors and so forth. Um, so that's been an exciting thing. We were asked to kind of bring rejoicing spirits under the mosaic umbrella. And that's been another way of reaching out for a non-shushing service. <laughs> yeah. And we find that in many places where the rejoicing spirits takes off, uh, eventually half of the congregation uh, does not appear to have disabilities, you know, but they come because they enjoy the flexibility, the uh, mm -hmm. rousing music, the uh, <laughs> uh, people with their own little kids that who don't have to worry if they're making a fuss. Mm -hmm. right. And so that's that's been another interesting thing just within the last couple years. Just a side effect of of welcome <laughs> you're right radical, i mean here's when, when you say yeah. welcome and yes. and and who and shows really up and you really mean it yeah, yeah. 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 to yeah. all god's people yeah, yeah. right yeah. and and joy is a is a pretty contagious thing yes. so something that yeah, i, I believe that. brings people is yeah. the joy of those who are able to worship in the mm -hmm. way that is meaningful to them it and makes accessible sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. i'm i'm kind of curious uh what what some of that practically looks like uh, like what, uh, what, what ways of of doing church differently have been involved in that, and what do those actually look like tangibly? So that maybe somebody that's listening 
maybe bring some of that to their own yeah. their own community, their own place. Absolutely. So. Um, one of the things is certainly involving people as much as possible. So in a lot of Rejoicing Spirit services, there will be more banner bearers than what you're used to because people can walk in carrying banners. When the gospel is read, it may be read, but there might also be costumes and acting the story out once, and then if we like it, we'll act it out again. And <laughs> different people get to put on costumes and uh, take, yep. takes whatever part they can in portraying that, that mm -hmm. gospel lesson. The music tends to be um, joyful. joyful and kind of call and response <laughs> and uh, uh, nothing terribly prolonged which of course a lot of lay people would enjoy. <laughs> so short sermons and, uh, and, and accessible interaction, you yeah. know. Yeah. So. yeah. And consideration for physical facilities. Absolutely. You know, can people get in? Can people get yeah. out? Um, you know, when we talk about banner bearers that they might walk in, they might roll in, they mm -hmm. might, you know. <laughs> yes. So there's many ways yeah. to make things accessible. For people with autism spectrum disorders, the ability to move during service can be very important. Mm -hmm. um, I think back to whenever I was very young and sitting next to my grandmother on the pew and being taught to sit still, I would have very much liked to have been able to move. So, <laughs> um, but being able to move throughout the service, sometimes it is, how do we conceal light switches, yes. right? Yes. So for somebody who might really like to turn the lights on and off, how do we modify that environment <laughs> so there's less of a strobe effect during service? Those kinds of things, you know. Fewer and fire alarms pulled. That's yes. right. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And the most important thing is to open your arms and your heart to everyone mm -hmm. yeah. um, and to truly be welcoming. And sometimes in our congregations, we think we're being welcoming mm -hmm. and we miss some stuff. And so it's being super intentional about how can everyone feel welcome. You know, Jim alluded to parents who have stopped attending services. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, we're not just creating an opportunity for worship for the person with the disability. We're bringing a whole family back yeah. into the church. I was going to say, as you guys are describing some of this, it, it feels like that stuff that's just kind of helpful in general and helpful for people to, you know, yes. nobody wants to just sit there. Exactly. I mean, yeah. yes. they, may, they may be used to that. And they may think that they're supposed right. to do that, but I don't think anybody just wants to sit there. I think people, when they come to uh, some a worship gathering of, of any variety, they want to engage and they want to participate and they don't yeah. want it to just be sitting and listening and then going home, hopefully having learned something. They want it to be something that really, I think, fills up something in them that's a little different than just that yeah. passive receiving. Yes. I like to see it really as church renewal. You know, mm -hmm. it's in our own way, uh, the engagement of people, the sense of community. Uh, opportunities for the whole body of Christ to to show up, um, maybe on a Thursday evening, maybe on a Friday afternoon. Every day is the Lord's day, you know. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder for each of you individually, what what is it about? Is there anything in your story that that's led you to this work? <laughs> is there ever? <laughs> <laughs> there always is. Yes. Yeah. 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 Who wants to go first? Sure, I will. Good. So good. Um, I grew up in a very small town in North Louisiana with a first cousin with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And my uncle was a single dad in the 1970s mm -hmm. when there really weren't single dads. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So my cousin was with us all the time. So she was just like a fourth sister. Mm -hmm. And she went everywhere with us. She went to vacation Bible school. She went to 
climbed in the trees in the woods you know mm-hmm. i'm not saying we fought but maybe we fought you know <laughs> those normal family experiences and so she did everything we did um, she did attend special education classes in our local school but other than that her life was really similar to ours and so i thought that was how that worked okay. um, and then um and before i really knew that that was a guiding hand in my life it was mm-hmm. and so i chose my career which is kind of funny because it really chose me so it was a call so just in answer to a call i've always felt that this was the work and i discovered that that wasn't the life that everybody got to live Mm. And lots of people were in segregated environments. There were lots of families who didn't have the capacity to do that. Um, And so making that possible for others has been my life's work. So 23 years in. Mm. Mm. Um, For me, um, I grew up with an aunt with special needs. So my dad was one of five. And um, his oldest sister was... Uh, was born with um, hydrocephalus and so she had severe epilepsy Mm. and that was in the mid 50s and so if you think about in the mid 50s what they were doing was they made recommendations and they said just send her away and you know you guys will be just fine and my grandparents stood on their faith and they said nope she's our daughter and she's part of our family they went on to have um, you know other children um, and that's how I grew up. I grew up with my aunt. You know, she would chase us outside, but she also played games with us. We watched movies. That was just kind of what we what we knew. Mm-hmm. But we were educated and said she's special. You know, we can't do certain things. Or if she if she has a seizure, this is how you're to help her. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was our family kind of taught us about how to care for her. And we all became fiercely protective of anyone we saw that had a special need. And with that, my grandmother, um, she went to school. She got an eighth grade education, so she knew how to read and write. And um, she loved to dance. Um, I'm from South Louisiana, so Zodico is really big. And um, she loved to Zodico. And where we were in our little town, she met um, someone that was just like her, Hmm. my Uncle Thomas. Hmm. And I say uncle because they ended up getting married. They were married for 20 years until she passed away about five years ago. And um, she lived a beautiful life. They lived next door to my grandmother, but they lived independently. They went grocery shopping. They did everything. And Mm. as the cousins or the nieces, you know, we would come and that was just our life. So that level of compassion and, you know, sense of gratitude for having a family member, I just bring that into what I do each and every day because for every individual I meet, they could be my Aunt Evella or they could be my Uncle Thomas. Mm. And Mm. I treat them just as such. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it started out when I was actually on summer staff at Martin Luther Home and School. Um, They sent the certified teachers home and brought in energetic college kids who we weren't really (laughs) sure what we were doing, but we did it with great enthusiasm. (laughs) Um, And as part of the orientation, we were taken to the state facility that was also in the same town as Martin Luther Home and School. And the tour ended up in the infirmaries where there were people who had multiple challenges, uh, profound disabilities. Um, and again, this was like 1969. So people with hydrocephalus, unre- unrepaired cleft mm-hmm. palates, things that you just don't, don't see anymore. It was, it was pretty, pretty daunting uh, for a bunch of 19-year-olds. And when we finished, the nurse who gave us the tour said, now there's nothing that can be done for these children. So we keep them comfortable, we keep them clean, and um, try to give them lots of love. 
And I was 19 years old, and I was a history and German major, and I thought, well, surely there's something that be done for these children, even though this nurse officially says there, there isn't. And so I resolved then, uh, if it's the last place on earth, I will never work at that state facility. Well, came back from a year of study abroad. I was flat broke and I knew that they would probably take just about anybody who walked through the door at the state facility. And I don't mean that pejoratively. That's just how it was at that time, even if you were a unreformed history and German major. And so when I walked in, it was to interview for a position working with those children for whom nothing could be done. It was a very mm-hmm. innovative program of uh, human development and sensory stimulation. And uh, so we had people who had been diagnosed as, as legally blind or deaf um, who began to track objects visually and respond to sound. They had been so dis- dismally unstimulated for so many years. And uh, that was pretty heady stuff for yeah. kids in their mid-20s. And so even though I had been pre-theology as an undergraduate, one thing led to another. Stayed in school long enough that I turned into a psychologist. Wouldn't have missed it for anything. It's been wonderful. Through Mosaic, I've been able to work in um, England and Latvia for a number of years and Romania. Mm. And then in my late 50s, this idea of ordained ministry of word and sacrament came back to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? Really? <laughs> and um, so um, and so it happened. I went, yeah. uh, went to seminary when I turned 60. And uh, my dad totally irretrievably retired as a pastor when he was 95. So I figure I might still get my 30 years. <laughs> so that's how it comes to be the bivocational situation that it is for me. Yeah. Mm. I had another question ready to go, but I was just stuck on being a pastor until I'm 95 years old. <laughs> kind of lost me there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he had his, I think, 68th anniversary of his ordination, and he, he wow. went to school. He'd actually been a principal in elementary school. He went to seminary when he was like 28 or 29, oh. so had a long huh. ministry. So this two-career thing is generational. Yep. That's yep. impressive. <laughs> What are some of the biggest challenges in the work that you do or as part of the organization? One of them sometimes is that there's still a lot of information to be shared about people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, For people to be seen as individuals with hopes, with dreams, with aspirations, um, and a lot of capability. Mm -hmm. So that's one challenge, and that's something that we're always engaged in. That's work we're always doing. That advocacy is always part of it. We had a what I would consider a profound moment in a discovered the possibilities a couple months ago. So we have a person we serve and he had told me that one of his dreams is to get married. And, um, and it was great. Can you tell me about that? And boy, could he? So he told me he had picked the date. He hasn't got the year, but the date will be February the 13th. So he can start his honeymoon on the 14th of February, because what better day to start your honeymoon than Valentine's Day? And that's a, that's a solid plan. It is. And the 13th is the birthday of a dear friend of his, so it has okay. special significance. Um, he's already chosen his pastor and spoken to the pastor who will officiate the ceremony. Um, he has selected his tuxedo. Um, he has a distinct 70s flair. He yeah. has a mm-hmm. sense of style. Oh, he pulled up the picture on his iPad. He's like, this is it. Take, I was like, that is spectacular. And so then I said, I said, well, so do you know who you're going to marry? And he said, no. I said, well, then that's all you have left to do, right, is you have to find the person you're going to marry. <laughs> and he said, no, that's not how that works. I said, okay, well, how does that work? He said, 
I am supposed to focus on being the person I'm supposed to be. And then when the right person comes along, I'll be ready. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was a profound moment. And I told him, I said, you clearly have the marriage thing better under control than most people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He has a deep spiritual belief. He knows who he wants to be and how he's going to live into that. Mm, mm. It was an extraordinary moment. And so he consented to speak to a group that came to um, our Discover the Possibilities. And I told you, I've been doing this for 23 years. I don't cry much anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of great stories. Um, He told that story and we looked at the whole place is just (laughs) bawling. Mm -hmm. It it really was. It's just such a profound moment of connection. And so the, Mm -hmm. and after he was done, it was a great moment moment for the people in the room not a single one of them had ever considered that somebody might want to get married Mm -hmm. they never considered that we are serving a couple right now who are married Mm -hmm. who live on their own and so it was such a great moment for him to be able to share that dream of his Mm -hmm. and for people to really connect Mm -hmm. so that's and we talk about advocacy just people sharing their stories Mm -hmm. it's important Mm -hmm. people sharing their their stories but also teaching us yeah. uh, every single every day yeah. Um, yeah and sometimes people talk about that it's kind of trite you know yeah. special yeah. people doing special things Check. that's not what no. we're about we're about authentic experiences yeah. and so we were <laughs> we were talking about a person that we serve she has made it her mission in life to make me act right and that's what she told me. Uh, she's going to make me act right. We're not sure entirely what that might mean, but she has tried to draft my husband into service in support of this goal. So, you know, she's got that going too. But, um, but we just get to meet and know so many extraordinary people. Yeah. Wow. Um, I obviously there's there's a whole whole variety of of people that you work with and serve and a whole variety of of things that they're dealing with um but maybe can you talk a little bit generally about some of the the stigmas or misunderstandings and um what what we can do and what conversations we can have to try to uh kind of get around those and and understand kind of the people that were really that are right next to us that we can learn from i think a big chunk of that always is no matter who it is person with intellectual disability a migrant person with significant mental health needs um you got to get to know them Mm -hmm. and part of that i think is overcoming one's own fear uh of what is unknown uh of of feeling inadequate um but as the saying goes, your, your presence will never be misinterpreted. Your absence typically will, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if we can just make those connections, bringing people into shared participations, doing with, not doing for, mm-hmm. uh, that's such a huge piece for the mental health needs of the people we support and, quite frankly, the mental health needs of all the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the simple acknowledgement that all people have the same basic needs. We all have a need, those survival needs, but we also have a need for love and belonging. Mm -hmm. We all have a need for freedom to make decisions, for power over our own lives. We have a need for fun. (laughs) And those are very real and they're for all people. And so just an acknowledgement of that. Not everybody has the same opportunities to get those needs met, though. 
And so creating opportunities is one of the things that we're about, mm-hmm. you know. And so thinking about this huge youth gathering, what a great opportunity. So we have people who are in our service who are so excited to come and engage with the kids here at the youth event. So that's a great opportunity. We have mission events where people from the community come in and get to know um, those we serve. So as Jim was saying, just exposure, getting to know people, but just an acknowledgement of that underlying shared humanity. And I think from my perspective, one of the biggest things that I, you know, have really come to uh, better understand is that as much as our individuals are cared for and that, you know, the community does for them, they have a deep desire to do more for the community. So extending that invitation to those who, you know, uh, are capable of volunteering in our churches or helping with our food pantries or just being invited to fold church bulletins or things of that nature, they get a profound sense of, of gratitude knowing that they can give back of their time. Um, and of themselves so they too are volunteers Mm -hmm. so I think oftentimes we tend to think of them as you know well you know they're in this kind of category or and they're they're in this space and we don't often reach for them because oftentimes they do have needs so there are reaching to the community for support but if the community reaches back to to us and to our individuals in service that says hey we have this very you know this project that you know low impact you know very user-friendly experience would these individuals be capable and have an interest in doing Mm it I, I promise you they will jump at the chance because they want to be helpful. Yeah. They want to give their gifts and talents because some of them do recognize that they're limited in some ways or that they're not able to do some things. But boy, when they're invited to come in, they, I mean, some of them kick the door in and just like, I'm here. But for the most part, they're just so happy just to be recognized and be included mm-hmm. and be a part of it. In our Bryan College Station location, which is part of our Southeast Texas agency, every week people from our program do Meals on Wheels. Every week, twice a week, they're volunteering in the community and delivering meals for people who are, who are not able to, to prepare those meals mm-hmm. and providing the fellowship with the meal. Because it's not just the food shows up, it's that the people show up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, competition to be part of Meals on Wheels every week is fierce, guys. <laughs> it is a big deal. People love it. And the people who are receiving that love it. And then Stacy was did a great job um, in that same community there, that's Brazos County. So it was Keep Brazos Beautiful. And that was the big community cleanup day. Mm-hmm. And so um, people in our service volunteered to do that to do that so that is picking up trash on the side of the road this was this was labor intensive Mm -hmm. and probably the best moment of the whole day was one of our guys showed up and he was like i'm so excited to do my civic duty and i thought (laughs) no one else today is that enthusiastic (laughs) i'm serious he was it was his civic duty in service to his community i thought if we only shared that enthusiasm Mm -hmm. you know it was it, Mm -hmm. it was a great day for them so and for the community that's fantastic is there something we're missing? Is there something you would want us to know about? This work is for everybody, even if people don't feel drawn to the area of developmental disabilities. Um, there's a Roman Catholic theologian, Elizabeth A. Johnson, who wrote, there is a fundamental interlocking of oppressions. And so really, whenever somebody reaches out to their sister or brother 
and offers themselves relationship and a chance for uh, a more full life. Um, they are doing what they can to advance the common good, promote the general welfare. I read yeah. that somewhere. <laughs> We're supposed to do that. You know, I don't think it's in the Gospel of John. <laughs> you know, I think culturally, yeah. it's part of that's part of who we are. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's a wonderful film on the life of Mother Teresa that was done by the Petri sisters back in 1986, and it opens up with scenes of human suffering, and then David Attenborough does this voiceover. Uh, and he says, there's a light in this world, a healing spirit that is stronger than any darkness we may encounter. We sometimes lose sight of it when there is suffering, too much pain. Then suddenly the spirit will emerge through the lives of ordinary people who hear a call and who answer in extraordinary ways. So talking about the misunderstandings and stigmas involved with his work, Jim broadened the scope from Mosaic's work to our larger society. He said it doesn't matter if we're talking about people with intellectual disabilities or immigrants or whoever it is. Jim simply said, you've got to get to know them. And it's really that simple. And it's really that difficult, isn't it? It takes the intentionality of getting to know your neighbor and be in relationship. As Jim said, that work is for everybody. As Jim and Stacy and Jennifer were talking, Mosaic's core value of connection just kept coming through. They connect people with diverse abilities and needs with volunteers and schools and churches and community centers, which allows all of us to get to know each other to teach each other, and to make an impact in each other's life through relationship and connection. I'm reminded of the quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who famously wrote, We are tied together in a single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. Moving forward, can you risk connection? Can you risk relationship, risk love in God's universe such such as it is? Again, as Jim said, that work is for everybody. So what does it look like for you? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with all the things that we've got going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or, if you'd like, you can sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. And we'd really love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us out a lot, and it's a way that you can join in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there is always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.